This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. COVID-19, strange phenomenon going on right now, right? What are you all doing and how are you all handling this COVID-19 crisis? I want to hear from you. So please click on the link that I've provided on Twitter and leave a message and we will include it in this podcast. Tell us what you're doing, what you're doing to make your day go by, any hobbies, any crafts. Are you working? Tell me everything. Can't wait to hear from you. Hi, this is Detective Blue Line, and I want to say hi. Um, with the quarantine, I have been working, and through work, I've been—I'm uh, a criminal investigator with our police department. We've been getting inundated with fraud cases. Um, also, our patrol unit is down to a skeleton crew right now. So, whenever they get a hot call, I throw the vest on, go out and assist them. Uh, when I get done work. Uh, the first thing I do before I even go in the house is take off my shoes because the shoes actually carry uh, germs. And uh, once I get into the house, I am uh, doing laundry. Uh, everything I wore that day, I make sure I get washed. Um, so basically my work week is uh, going to work, handling fraud cases, assisting uh, the patrol, coming home, doing laundry, and going to sleep. Uh, I hope everyone is staying safe, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Before we start this episode, I'd like to thank a few listeners for monetarily supporting the podcast. Thank you to Ron, Katie, Paul, Cammie, Anne, Ben, and Kelly. You can support their real-life podcast, too. Your support of just 99 cents a month makes a huge difference and helps to pay for the program I use to record the guests. To donate, simply click the box in the anchor link. It has a little word support and it has a dollar sign. Very easy to find. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I'm happy to announce that the Real Life Podcast now has listeners in the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, the Philippines, Argentina, Australia, Sweden, and Lebanon. Thank you all for sharing the episodes and retweeting them. This is the best way to get the word out. So keep doing that, keep sharing, and keep retweeting. Thanks, everyone. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, 
and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Benjamin Tyler Smith, author of The Blue Crucible. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Before we talk about your book, Blue Crucible, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, geez, there's not a whole lot to say. Um, I'm 35 years old. I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama. That's why if people read the book, uh, the two of the main characters are from there. Um, father was a police officer in the Mobile Police Department for 26 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm a law enforcement family member. Um, stayed in Mobile all the way through college, but then eventually moved to Staten Island to be with my then fiance, now my wife. And uh, since then, we've made it out here to Pennsylvania, where we now have more cows than people as, as uh, neighbors. And we like it that way. <laughs> That's nice. Now, so okay, you're 35. So how long have you been a writer? Um, I mean, off and on ever since I was a little kid, uh, you know, grew up reading the King Arthur legends and wanted to continue the stories. So I started writing my own when I was, I don't even, I don't even know how old. I don't even know if my mom still has that notebook that I was scribbling in. But um, then I got into watching Star Wars and doing Star Wars fan fiction and then uh, got into reading a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and uh, wasn't really until 2014 that I got super serious about writing. I, uh, I realized I needed, I needed to learn more. So I picked up some books on writing and then, uh, one thing led to another and, and here I am now. Wow. So, okay. So are you, are you an author or a writer? Is there a, a difference? Uh, I think there, there's a, there's an author and a writer that I like called Dean Wesley Smith. He, he writes a lot of science fiction and fantasy, but he also does a, a long running blog about, uh, about indie writing, independent authors like you and me. And, um, he makes an interesting distinction. He says an author is someone who has published a book. A writer is someone who is actively producing books. So, uh, it's nice to have the author label, uh, you know, now that I have this first book out, but definitely I'm a writer. It, it, for me, it's always about getting that next book, that next short story, whatever it is written. Mm -hmm. So what genres do you write? I mean, I know Blue Crucible is a sci-fi apocalyptic yes. genre, yes, right? A, yep. is, is that is that what you write all the time? Uh, I started off writing mostly fantasy. Uh, in fact, my, my favorite genre is still what's called epic fantasy. That would be like Lord of the Rings, uh, the Wheel of Time series, um, books like that. That's, that's always going to be my, my favorite genre to read. Uh, I write some fantasy as well, uh, but mostly, mostly military science fiction and post-apocalyptic science fiction has kind of become my thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, I can see that. Do you have a degree in creative writing or do you just do self-learning? Uh, self-learning mostly. When I was in college, uh, I went for a business and accounting background. I took some creative writing and screenwriting classes, but um, the screenwriting classes I learned a lot from, not the, uh, not the creative writing so much. In college and in high school, 
creative writing tends to be more uh, on the literary side of things. It, it's <laughs> like less poetry? About, yeah, poetry <laughs> and, and just writing what they call purple prose, like really flowery uh, prose, flowery dialogue stories mm-hmm. that aren't really stories. There's no clear beginning, middle, or end to them. Whereas genre fiction, which is sci-fi, fantasy, romance, um, that's written more with, with uh, their plot-oriented or their character-oriented. And they don't, for some reason, they just don't teach a lot of that in, in academia. There are certain schools in the country you can go to where they specifically teach that. Not anywhere where I was, you know, and could take advantage of that. So no, right. I'm mostly... From the writing side of things, I am mostly self-taught, and and being fortunate enough, early on in my in my career, back in around like 2014, 2015, finding a couple of editors that were really interested in what I was writing, and um, sort of took me under their wing, liked what I had written, but then said, "Hey, th- I like this short story, for instance. I like the short story a lot, but it could be a lot better. Let me do what I can do, and and we'll we'll go back from it." In fact, one of the stories, uh, this one editor, she, she said she loved my story. She said, I'm just going to tweak it a little bit, and then, and then I'll get back to you with some markups. I said, oh, okay. I get it back, and it was nothing but red. Like, track changes was on. <laughs> everything was red. It was like, what were you thinking when you wrote this? I don't even know what's happening here. And I'm like, this woman said she loved it. What is going on? <laughs> But, uh, but you know, it, it, I had to tear that, that particular story completely apart and reassemble it from memory. And it came out 10 times better than the way wow. I originally wrote it. And I learned so much from that. And uh, that's really what it's been. It's just been a learning process. Excuse wow. me. My cat wants me to throw a toy for her. Oh, hey, this this podcast is called Real Life. So real life happens <laughs> while we're recording, right? <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> now, okay, so you said you've been writing since you were little. Wait, do you remember the first thing you ever wrote? Like, like were you five? I mean, were you like 10? Like, what, do you recall that? I I know, I know I was, I was at least in grade school. So I had to have been at least five or six. I was probably Aww. about seven or eight. And I had just gotten through reading. It was a it was a dumbed down children's version of the King Arthur legends, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and all their quests. It it but because it was a kid version, it did not end with him being mortally wounded and being <laughs> taken off to Avalon to to wait for his chance to come back. So, I it, the story just ended. I'm like, well, I need to know more. So I started, I, I grabbed a notebook and started jotting down new adventures of King Arthur and Lancelot and Galahad and all of them. And um, that was sort of the beginning of it for me. You know, the, a, lot of, a lot of writers start off that way where, you know, you end up writing what's called fan fiction. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, either, you're either writing in a universe that you really like or you're imitating an author that you really like. And that's how you learn. And oh, that makes sense. And, you know, eventually you start, eventually, you know, you, sooner or later you start writing your own stuff. And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's more or less what happened with me. I, I eventually started writing, like I had said, Star Wars fan fiction, because I was huge into that in middle school, because my mom was. And then um, eventually, even inside the Star Wars universe, I started writing about my own characters and my own planets and my own ships. And then that, that just eventually got pushed into, well, why write in the Star Wars universe when I can make my own universe? Right, right. So, so Blue Crucible is your very first book that you have had published, correct? 
Yes, I've I've had short stories published uh, here and there, uh, but this will be my first full length novel. And nice. and <clears throat> I have it. I ordered it from Amazon a couple of weeks ago, and I've I've read the first chapter, but we're not going to talk about that yet. <laughs> um, tell me and tell the listeners about your writing process. Like, do you have a favorite place to go? Is it in your house? Do you like have music in the background, a favorite drink in your hand while you're writing? Like, tell us, tell us your process. Well, my favorite place is anywhere I can go and not be distracted by the internet because it is very easy for me to not even get distracted in a negative sense where it's like, oh, you know, I just want to, I just want to sit here and watch cat videos. It's, you know, something old, I'll be writing and I'll think, huh. You know, I wonder what the police procedure would be for this situation or, you know, what would, what would be the radio code they would use? And instead of just making a note, look this up later, I'll stop what I'm doing and go and look it up. But then Wikipedia is uh, is a, a portal into into hell. So I wind up two hours goes by and I don't even know what I'm looking at anymore. So so typically uh, uh, two places I go to, I either go down to the basement where the, where the internet connection is poor and I turn, I turn the internet off on my laptop and I just draft and get stuff done. Okay. And I can get, when I, when I'm in drafting mode, I can get anywhere from five to 10,000 words written in a day. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It hurts my wrists by the end oh, of the, sure. by the end of the I'm session. Sure. Um, the other place I like to go to my wife and, th- and this, this is something I, I could ask you about being, being former law enforcement. Cause my dad thought this was weird. My wife has been signed up for jury duty over in Reading, Pennsylvania, one day a month for the last 12 months, going on another 12 months. All wow. for the same case. She is not allowed to tell me what this case is about. The only thing I know it is, is it is not a grand jury. It is an actual trial. And it's one day a month for 18 to 24 months. I've never heard of such a thing and neither had Wait, my dad. She hasn't been chosen for the jury yet? Oh they no, she was chosen it? for it. She oh, was she chosen is? for it. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is the God. actual trial that is one day a month they meet for 20, 18 to 24 months. That's very odd because our trials are like a week or two long. That's it. That's what that's what done. I would figure. That's what I yeah. would figure. Like oh, 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 okay, good. So it's not it's not just my dad and me thinking it's weird. Oh, that is weird. Are you sure that's where she's going? <laughs> I'm joking. Oh well, I'm dropping her <laughs> off at the courthouse. That's the thing. You know, like she she doesn't like going to Reading on her own because it is it is a very unfortunately it's a very crime infested city and okay. and and like most cities the courthouse is smack in the center of it all. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And uh, so so I drop her off in the morning and just over the bridge is a Chick Fil A that I go to. I sit in the corner, drink my tea, and then I just write until she calls me. And okay. and that's a lot of fun. So Chick Fil A is another place you like to write. But what, what's your favorite drink in hand? And do you like music in the background while you're, oh, my, or, is, oh, or my, is that? Uh, well, um, my favorite drink is always sweet iced tea. Okay, sweet and tea, because you're from the South. I am from, I am from further <laughs> South than, than where you currently live. So Yes, sir. Yeah. You, yes. <clears throat> I often, I often tell people up here, because it, it, it's hard to find good sweet tea up here, but you can get it. I often tell people, Sweet tea to a Southern man is like oxygen to a mountain climber. The higher up <laughs> you go, the further north of the Mason-Dixon you go, the more you need. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, just how so, it is. So what about music? Do you like to have music on while you're writing or is that a distraction? 
when I when I'm at Chick Fil A, no, just because I'm out in public, I don't like to wear earbuds or anything. I like to I always like to maintain mm-hmm. situational awareness, and uh, and that goes back to my dad being a you, cop. I was just gonna say you were raised by a cop. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. When I when yes, I sir. when I go to Chick Fil A, both to be out of, out of everyone's way because I know I'm gonna be there a while, but also to, to have an eye on everything. I usually sit way back in the corner near the bathroom with my back to the wall. So I can watch both entrances <laughs> and, because you just never know, you know? know, and it, and if something happens as you're aware, it happens fast. So oh, yeah. it, it pays, it pays to be careful. Uh, when I'm at home though, I listen just to tell you how much of a geek I am. I mostly listen to video game and anime soundtracks. Well, that goes hand in hand with sci-fi, right? Because oh, that's what oh, they're totally playing. Does. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It it totally does, and, yeah. and like uh, on YouTube, I actually have several playlists created uh, depending on the universe or the book that I'm working on. Wow! Just so I have so the right cool. feel for a particular thing. It, it, it's that's a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, I'm sure. So you have a publisher. So did you have a deadline? Because I self-published my book, and I had my own deadline. It was just whenever I wanted to get it done. So did you have an actual deadline from your publisher? My deadline was uh, more or less self-imposed. Uh, I think it was back in September. Uh, Chris Kennedy, the the head of the publishing company, he he put out a call to all the writers on on his private Facebook group. Hey, you know, we're starting to we're starting to run out of titles coming up over the next few months. So who's going to have what done when? Okay. And it, it was like September fifteenth or something. And I said, yeah, you know. I'm not fully done outlining it yet, but it's like three months to the end of the year. Yeah, I'll have it done December 31st. No problem. Well, except normally in in the industry that I work in for my day job, December and January are dead months. Absolutely dead. Nothing going on. just, Just end of the year cleanup stuff. And it's been that way for several years. This December, it was an all hands on deck, crazy emergency project that came up that ate up at least a week. And then my sister was up for a week. So I missed that 1231 deadline. But Chris Kennedy, being a, being a good understanding guy, I was keeping him in the loop the whole time. He said, well, just get it to me when you can. I worked as hard as I could. I got it to him a week late. It was exactly one week, which accounted for that one week of hell at work. Um. So yes, I do have deadlines. Uh, with him, they're typically self-imposed. With short story submissions, like to contests or to magazines, um, a lot of them are open submission. You can send them whenever, but some do have an actual deadline. Like there are two short stories I'm working on now. One I'm almost done with. It has a deadline at the end of this month, and the next one has a deadline at the end of next month. Wow, you are a writer. Because <laughs> when I was finished with my book, I I. I took a deep breath and I said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to write for a while. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that feeling. For for yeah. me, uh, I can take about a week off of it, but then I have to get back to it. There, there's there's so many more stories I want to tell. And That's God's neat. just put them in me Aww. to push them out. And eventually the story will, will, will get out of me. It just depends on, it depends on, you know, is it going to be driving me or am I driving it? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So your book, Blue Crucible, is essentially about the Thin Blue Line. And again, before we talk about the actual book, tell us why you chose to write about law enforcement. Like it has horse patrol in it. So, I mean, does this go hand in hand with your father and his law enforcement career? Like, you know, like, why did you choose to throw that in there? 
Well, part part of it is um, there's so much negativity out there in the media with the police and just public perception seems to have soured over the last few years in certain, in certain segments of society. Like I'm not saying it's, it's everywhere. Everyone's negative against the police, but it does seem like that is the common trend. That's certainly the common narrative being pushed by the powers that be. And so I, I at the least wanted to write something that was positive. Something, something where the police were actually the heroes 100% of the way through. Now, you know, does it mean that that there aren't going to be officers that go too far? There aren't going to be officers that go rogue? In this story, no. Maybe in follow-ups there will be, because that is real life. Unfortunately, in any human institution, there's bad eggs. But by and large, that is not the common trend with officers. You know, it is a calling most, almost all of them are great people. Certainly all the ones that my dad worked with over the years were great people. And I imagine it was the same in your department as well. And so, so yeah, definitely my influence with my dad growing up being, being the son of a police officer that, that from a very early age, I had a lot of respect for the profession and, um, Specifically going with the horse patrol, my dad was never was never on uh, the mobile mounted unit, although he certainly had the opportunity to be. He just he, he liked regular patrol a lot more. He liked being out in the thick of it. But um, I got to see the horse patrol every year during Mardi Gras and, and, and not just the mobile police uh, departments from all over the country send send mounted units to mobile, both to help bolster our ranks and also to uh, to train. Because it's two or three weeks of parades every single day. And, oh wow! You know, That's most cities, even big cities, don't don't see that. So NYPD sends their people down to get ready for next year's Macy's Day parade. Uh, I believe I believe there've been times that LA has sent its officers out, Las Vegas as well. So I did not yeah. know that. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it it's pretty cool. And from what I understand, the Mobile Police Department sends its mounted unit around to different states throughout the year to train other units as well because they have wow. so much experience. Right. That was sort of what gave me the idea to do that with Blue Crucible, where the uh, the main character, uh, Lieutenant Nathan Ward, is not just a mounted unit leader. He's a trainer as well. Got it. That's so cool. So... Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get into the nitty gritty of your book. Okay, so we'll be right back. All right. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's thinbluelineforwomen.com. the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, 
online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. We're back from break and talking with Benjamin Tyler Smith, author of The Blue Crucible. So tell us what The Blue Crucible is about. All right. Well, I mean, initially, how about I just give you all a little bit of the synopsis and then we'll go in deeper from there. Sounds good. So the back cover blurb is the end came fast for Lieutenant Nathan Ward. One moment he was participating in an international convention of mounted police officers the next, he was in a command bunker watching the world's two biggest corporations, Obsidian and Teledyne, destroy it in an exchange of nuclear hellfire. While Columbia, Missouri was spared a direct strike, a near-miss electromagnetic pulse fried most of the vehicles and the electrical grid. Then the corporation started a shooting war in the streets, and they didn't care who got caught in the crossfire. But Columbia was one of the last cities still standing, and Nathan and his fellow officers weren't going to give it up even if it meant facing the worst the corporate militaries could throw at them. The world may have fallen, but the Thin Blue Line's battle is only beginning. So the good guys in this are obviously the police, Lieutenant Nathan Ward and, not, and his, his unit from Mobile, Alabama, but not just him, mounted units from all over the country, such as NYPD, LAPD, the Philadelphia Police Department, and also internationally. The London uh, mounted unit is there, there's even a unit of, uh, of camel riders from the Jordanian Royal Desert Forces, I believe is what they, what they are in real life. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. And uh, I even found in Brazil, there's an island in Brazil where the police there ride water buffaloes. What? And so, yeah. Yeah. You'll have For to look that up. They, yeah. Being they, I am being serious. They ride water buffaloes. Uh, they they have so many on uh, on that particular island. I think they raise them for cattle. That they they also raise them and ride them. Okay, okay. That's I, I have so many questions, but let's <laughs> let's keep going. I'm gonna have to look that up later. And and the idea the idea behind the title Blue Crucible is. All these units, you know, in, in order for them to survive the fight that's coming, because these you have these two corporate armies in, in this particular universe, which I can get into in a little bit, uh, replace national governments with corporations. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like say Apple and Google get so big, they can field their own armies and they can okay. purchase so much land, they can create their own nation. That's sort of what's going on here. The corporations have taken over the United States. The United States is effectively split between Teledyne on one side and Obsidian on the other. And they're so rich and so powerful, they even have nuclear arsenals. And eventually their Cold War goes hot at the very beginning of this book, and you wind up with a nuclear exchange. And somehow Columbia, the city where this big mounted police convention is taking place, gets spared a direct hit. 
but they still wind up caught in the middle of this because both corporations want this city now. It's one of the few cities left that has any actual infrastructure. And they're coming in trying to take it over, and they don't care who gets in the crossfire. They're killing civilians. They're killing each other. And good cops being good cops aren't going to let that stand. And, and they, the mounted unit especially, because most vehicles are destroyed, but the horses are still able to get around. They, they have a huge advantage even over the technologically superior corporations. But the only way they're going to win is if they unite together, is if they go through the crucible together and become a cohesive cavalry unit. And that's largely okay. what the story is about. I'm going to tell you something right now. When people like me read the back of a book, that sums up the book and it tells and it tells the the buyer or the reader if they want to read that book or not, right? Mm-hmm. So I read the back of your book and it looked interesting to me. Even though I'm not an apocalyptic sci-fi reader, it looked interesting to me. But when you just read it and then talked about it more, I kind of wish there was audible like mm. audible descriptions for everybody, because now I've, I, I have, a, I have your book. It's on my nightstand. I am through chapter one, but I've been so busy with this COVID-19 stuff. And my daughter's home from school. That. My daughter's home from, from school for until April 24th. So now I'm trying to um, just, you know, think of things for her to do. But now I really want to read it more because your description, like, so thank you for, for going into more detail about that because like I said, the back of the book was interesting and I bought it, but the way you just described it made it like come alive for me. Will you do me a favor? Read the last line of your the back of your book because it kind of gives me chills and it talks about the thin blue line. Oh yeah. The, the world may have fallen, but the thin blue lines battle is only beginning. That is like the best line ever. I love that. Yes. I love my, that. My publisher and I put the put, put this uh, synopsis together. We went back and forth a couple of times, but that never changed. That last line, he loved that so much. He said, yeah, that, he, he, said he said, that's the money shot. It is. It, it, it is. It's a, it, it's a good feeling. And I'm like, hey, I'm part of that thin blue line. So it's like, I mm-hmm. want these people to win. And now I want to read the book. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead and... Um, um, finish what you were saying or like what inspired you to even write this particular book? Like where did Blue Crucible come from? This particular uh, story came to me, um, actually speaking of Audible, uh, this book will eventually be available on Audible. Um, okay. the, the the particular narrator who's doing the other Fallen World books, which is uh, the universe that this is a part of, is referred to as the Fallen World. This is this is now book seven of that universe, but it can be read separately from all the others. It's um, again going back to Star Wars and Star Trek. Um, there are dozens of books in both of those universes, all written by multiple authors. You don't need to read any of them except whichever one you're interested in. Okay. Same same thing with the Fallen World universe. I recommend them all, but each one is a jumping off point for its own series within this universe. So, okay. so there'll be Blue Crucible. There will be the sequel that I'm working on eventually. It'll come out later this year called Blue Salvation, which will follow immediately after this book within a few months or so. But um, I listened to the first book in the universe by Christopher Woods, uh, This Fallen World. And in it, the universe is bleak. His book set about 20 years or so after this nuclear missile exchange at the beginning of my book. And, you know, most of the world's destroyed and any remaining cities are being torn apart by warlords and gangs and, and what have you. So it's a mess. But through that, there's still a lot li- that there's still a ray of hope. 
the man that the hero, the heroes in his book are trying to make a difference. They're trying to make life better for everybody. They're trying to restore the world to what we have now. And that really resonated with me. And I keep thinking about, well, you know, who tries that, who does that on a daily basis, the police and the military, at least in this country, especially, you know, they do everything they can to keep us safe and to keep things from descending into chaos. So I got the idea to do something where it would take place shortly, either, either at the time of the, of the fall or shortly thereafter. And I thought, well, who better to have as the heroes than the police? And, and, um, at the time I came up with this idea, Chris Kennedy and Chris Woods, uh, the, the publisher and the author, they were putting together a short story anthology to, to bring new authors in to, to try and get them to pitch ideas, to make a short story, and eventually turn it into a book if, if it came out to be popular. Well, I had a smaller idea that was going to be, there were riots happening in New York City, and Nathan Ward and his mobile unit were being dispatched to New York to help quell the riots. They were, they were going there to help their brothers in blue on NYPD. And en route is when the nukes hit and they wind up stranded somewhere in Georgia, Tennessee. I, you know, hadn't, hadn't gotten that far in the idea yet. And, uh, you know, like New York's gone, Mobile's been nuked. So where do they go? Well, and what they would do is they would protect the area that they're in, you know, because there's, there's still good American citizens in this town we, we should make a stand and make a difference here. So I pitched the idea to Chris Woods, who then told Chris Kennedy. Chris Kennedy liked it so much that he said, uh, yeah, you're not doing a short story. You're making a book and it's going to be bigger than what you did. Oh, wow. oh, and it, oh, and it can't be set in the Southeast because uh, that's my area of operation. You need to move out West to like Missouri, which is where, <laughs> how we wind up with Columbia. Gotcha. And, and, and in order to expand the idea, I said, okay, well, well, why would, why I still want it to be about Mobile initially, at least where the main characters are from there. Cause that's my hometown. You know, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable writing about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, so how can I expand this? That was when I came up with the idea for the, for the mounted police convention and have it where you have units from all over the country, all over the world gathered there to share tactics, to train, to have camaraderie. And also to, you know, uh, promote themselves for recruitment drives. And Columbia was chosen because it's known in that area for a lot. There's a lot of um, equine pursuits, a lot of stables. Uh, there's a veterinary college there and a research institute there. So they, they would have the facilities to house, geez, I forget what I put in the book, almost 500 mounted officers and their horses and their camels and their water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and and the story just grew from there. That's so awesome. So do you have a favorite character? Uh, a character that you will meet at the end of chapter two. Um, okay. She, she is the, the, the reason why this, this book is considered science fiction, not simply because it's set in the future. Uh, I forget if I mentioned that it's set, I think in the year 2067. So about 40 or 50 years in, uh, ahead of us. Teledyne and Obsidian and all the other big corporations that run the whole world, they, as they're fighting each other, they're creating super soldiers uh, where people are being augmented. sort of like, uh, think like Wolverine from the X-Men, but, 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 but without the, the claws, they're, you know, the able to regenerate, able to pick up like 
eight times their normal strength and, and body weight and, and stuff like that. And um, one of my characters that, that became my favorite is, is one of those augmented humans, a, a Teledyne specialist named Aster, this little five foot nothing girl that you, when you meet her at the end of chapter two, she a camel spits on her and she punches it out in one hit. <laughs> Don't worry, the, the camel That's survives. Sad. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> the, the camel survives, and and you know, in, in her defense, she was protecting the person that the camel was intending to spit on. So okay. she was she was doing her job as a bodyguard. Well, I'm glad you're writing about a girl. So that's cool. I, yeah, I, I, I would. I'm interested to see if you end up liking her. Okay. And her name is Aster. Is that what you Aster. said? Yep. Aster. Okay, Specialist I'll write that down. Aster. All right. So do you find that throughout this book that you kind of write about yourself or you've written about yourself in a way? Like, are you one of these characters secretly or do you not um, want to tell us? Well, there's definitely traits of me in pretty much any character I write. I, I, I think that's normal with writers. You know, it, it's hard because all these characters are in our heads. It's hard to separate them fully from ourselves so I can't say that any any of the characters is me other than this is the first time in any story where I've made a cameo. You will meet me. You will meet serious? me. You will meet me as the unnamed creative writing professor who has what? one of the he has one of the only working vehicles left in the city. And he's he's helping the cops out by driving his Roadmaster station wagon, which I do own. What? Um chapter? That is Oh geez, Is it's it like chapter. It's or... like it's like chapter seven or eight. It it, it it's oh, after the nukes drop. It it's after no, the nukes drop, and and the grid's been fried. But I, you know, I'm sitting on the tailgate of my station wagon, drinking sweet tea, while the cops are protecting this uh the, this world equivalent of Walmart, so that so that they can uh, take all the supplies out of it and get it back God, to the university. This sounds like the COVID-19 blue crucible. <laughs> Good gosh. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you have any yeah. toilet paper left for anyone? You, you know what? I need to put that into the, in, into blue salvation. Cause it's going to be, it's yes. going to be three or four months down the line. Right. Right. We're going to be running low. I'm going to have it where mm -hmm. toilet paper is one of those things. You're going to have to, you're going to have to. So when was your book released? Exactly. What, what was the date? It came out Friday, March thirteenth. Okay. So it's only been out only been out a couple of weeks. Yeah. And how can listeners get a copy of this book? The best way to get it right now is, is to go to Amazon and you don't even need my name. You can just do a search for Blue Crucible and it is the first thing you will see. Oh, good. And that was not it, it, actually when I picked that title, I was afraid there were gonna be a bunch of other books titled mm -hmm. that uh, or or titled something similar. Just Blue Crucible. You're lucky because I had no idea there were books called Through My Eyes. I didn't even research it first because that's just something that I, I hadn't, I had to call it that because it, I wanted people to see the scenes through my eyes. So that's just the mm -hmm. first thing that came to my mind and I couldn't change it. That that's, that's what the book's about. So I, I didn't change it at all. I just said, well, people are going to have to type in my name. Yeah. There are a lot of books titled Through My Eyes. Well, it's so, a good title. Thank I really you. like so, your book. Oh yeah, you did read the entire thing, right? I, I read the entire yeah. thing and it it yeah. made me angry more than once. Not at yeah, you. I know. Not at chapter, you, but the situation. Six. I know. I think chapter six made you angry. Chapter six, was that the That's the child porn one. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I growing growing up, I always wanted to be a cop. 
And I remember, I think it was in your Q&A bonus episode, you'd said, you know, you didn't wish that on your daughter. My dad never wished it on me either. And so he was very discouraging of it. Mm -hmm. Reading your chapter about the child pornography, that was when I realized, yeah, I could not have been a cop. I probably would have I probably would have killed those guys. It's really hard yeah, <laughs> to, I, to hold I, back your emotions. Yeah. Like, and, and, and like my respect for people of the profession, men and women grows anytime I think about stuff like that, just the amount of restraint that, that they have to show, which is why a lot of times in, even in instances where an officer does, does step over the line, it's hard not to at least sympathize with them. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, well, yes, that may not have been the right thing to do. I can at least understand it. From a human point of view, yeah, from, from an emotional human perspective. Point of view. Yeah, I can right. understand it. And how many of us would have done different in that situation right. if we exactly. really sat there and thought about it? Exactly. Stop quarterbacking and start thinking, you know, internalizing it. You yeah. would probably do the I same think, thing. I think, um, did, uh, have you ever watched any of Tom Selleck's Jesse Stone movies? No. Where he where he plays uh, he plays a small town police chief somewhere in Massachusetts. There was the the one of the one of the last movies of those he did. Uh, there was a there was a line that kept being played through it. Where it was an officer deserves the benefit of the doubt, and, and it was a situation where another officer had been killed, and it was a mob hit, and evidence looked like he was a crooked cop. And, oh. to, and and the whole movie was him trying to figure out if the guy was crooked or not, or if okay. it was a setup. And that was right. what he and several others kept saying was an officer deserves the benefit of the doubt. And we live in a society where everyone deserves the benefit of the doubt. Everyone. We're innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen to that. So do you have any funny stories about, about anything that you want to share with us before we wrap this up? Well, well, since, since we're, since we were talking about my dad, (laughs) oh yeah, I've got a funny story about dad when, when he was on the police department and I was a little kid, I I couldn't have been more than about four, maybe five years old. And Martin, uh, my older brother, he was with me. We were with dad. We were driving home. Weren't even in dad's police car, but he, he noticed a guy pulling out of one of the auto auto play repair shops or one of the tire shops with his, with his uh, vehicle just piled high with tires. It was obvious he had stolen them. Dad, dad called it in and then, uh, you know, pulled, pulled his, uh, his light out, set it up on top, pulled the guy over. Guy, guy got out like he wanted to run. So dad jumped out of the vehicle, drew his pistol and told him to freeze and was holding him there till backup arrived. Well, I must've had to go to the bathroom or I was sleepy and cranky or something. I don't know what, but I'm in the back seat and I just yell, why don't you shoot him daddy? <laughs> and, and, and this guy who his eyes were already bugging out of his head to begin with. Like his <laughs> eyes nearly completely popped out of his head when I said that. And he's like, no, 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 don't. <laughs> and dad's trying, and dad told me this later. So I was trying so hard not to laugh when you said that. <laughs> Innocent little kid. Just shoot him, dad. Yeah. You know, Aww, that's cute. That's adorable. So yeah. your, your dad, is he, is he still living? He is. He is. Okay. And is he in Alabama? Yep, he is in Mobile, Alabama still. Um, is he enjoying his retirement? He is. Uh he he keeps himself busy. Um 
part of me thinks he retired too soon because he, he like he loved the job. He absolutely loved it. But his best friend was retiring and, you know, he was he was getting burned out on the job, I think, was the problem. Uh, I think that happens with a lot of officers, unfortunately. You know, you just see too much. Yeah. And um, no, he keeps himself busy. He drives for one of the one of the car dealerships and is just is able to be on the road a lot, listening to books, listening to radio. He's cool. Ha- has he read your book or is he going to read your book? He. I don't know if he's read it all the way through yet. I know, I, I know, uh, mom ordered some copies of it. And when he saw it, when he saw that cover art, uh-huh, he's been beautiful. walking around showing it to everybody. It's and and like, I was blown away by the cover art as well. Um, Chris Kennedy asked me directly when I turned it in, he said, well, what do you want on the cover? I said, I don't know. Don't y'all normally do that? And he said, he said, he said, well, yeah, except with me, I like to have it where my writers are excited about their book and excited about their cover art. So what do you want on it? Oh, that's great. So I described, you know, what I wanted. Uh, that That's actually the beginning of the final battle. The bad guys are holed up in this menacing looking hotel and it is just a straight out charge up into the lobby. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you talked about your description more in detail than just the back of the book, because I'm like more excited now to read it. So if I don't get to sleep till four o'clock in the morning tonight, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I I will will warn you on that. My my pastor, uh, he he doesn't read a lot of fiction because he has to read so much for his his duty of being a, a minister that he just doesn't have much time to read fiction. But he got my book and was like, yeah, I'm going to read it. He read chapter one, said, yeah, it was pretty good. I'll, I, you know, I'll read a little more tonight. He read, he read all the way through, I think like a third or half of it the next wow. night. So, so he must've just suddenly got, in fact, I think, I think with him, Aster's his favorite character too. Oh, so good. once he saw her at the end of chapter two, he just kept reading to see what was going on. You don't think I'm going to like Lieutenant Nathan Ward? Oh, I think you're going to love Nathan Ward. And I think you're really going to love his brother, Danny. Okay. Um, which, oh, yeah, yeah. You, uh, he I'm was in chapter one. That's right. You've I'm met him. I'm more excited now. This is so fun. Well, I okay, do hope so, you enjoy it. Oh, I, I know I will. Just because, well, now that I've talked to you, another fellow author, it's going to be exciting to read your work. But also because it's the thin blue line. I mean, it's obviously I'm going to love it. <laughs> you oh, know, I, I would it's hope so. Like I said, it it is it is always my goal with these stories to honor the uniform and to honor the men and women that fill that uniform. Um, I can't promise they will all make it to the end of the story, unfortunately, it's, it's because that's not life. it wouldn't be realistic. Um, right, right. But I can guarantee you that if if any named characters that if any of them die, they die in a cool way. I can at least yep. promise you that. Okay. All right. No, no death. No death is ever in vain. Okay. So, so to sum this up, tell the listeners one more time where to get a copy. And I didn't ask you, is it an ebook and paperback and hardback? I uh, I, there, that. there are no hardback copies that I'm aware of. Uh, it is available in ebook. It's also available on Kindle unlimited for people who are subscribed. Uh, in fact, actually at the moment, I believe at least through the next week or two, Amazon is doing a Kindle Unlimited trial for two months for free. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah, glad I you think, said that because I I'm going to take advantage of that. 
I think they just launched it uh, because of this whole coronavirus thing. Right, right, so many right. people are stuck at home. They, wow. they decided to do that. Uh, and it's great. also available in paperback on Amazon as well. And it will, it will eventually be available on Audible. I okay. think there's like a six or eight month lead time on that, though. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you writing about the Thin Blue Line. Amazing. Thank your dad for his service. The next time I will talk do to that. Him, me personally. And I, I look forward to hearing more about your success soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having You're me on this. Thank you. Join me next week when I talk with Lori Cooper the daughter of a Columbus police officer who was shot in the line of duty during a burglary call. The alleged shooter has never served one day for this shooting. Join me next week and we'll find out why. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.